A.W. Tozer is a great author, got some good books, and uh, one of his most well-known quotes is the quote that says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's probably his best quote floating out there. What we think about when we think about God is the most important thing. Everyone has thoughts about God, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. I mean, even unbelievers have thoughts about God. They have thoughts of unbelief. They're like, I don't believe in that. But they still, even if they're not a believer in Christ, they have a thought about God, and it's important. And of course, believers have thoughts. So I call it belief, because right? you believe in your mind. And um, they're very important, and they affect everybody. And we just call this theology. It's like the $15 seminary word. Theology is the study of God, or what you think about God, or thinking about God, right? So everyone on some level is a theologian. Just some of us are good theologians, and some of us are, are, are uh, unhelpful theologians. But it affects everything. Now, here, here's the point. What you think about God doesn't just affect you, it affects everybody around you. So I want to, this is not part of the, like the main idea of the sermon, but this is like a little freebie. You know, you go to a restaurant and you order something like, hey, do you want to try the awesome blossom? We're not going to charge you for it. And they bring by, the, this is one of those like side dishes that you're not, that, that's not intended. Um, like, here's what I've learned about, about people in pastoring. How we treat one another is a direct result of how we treat ourselves. And how we treat ourselves is a direct result of how we think God treats us. Here's what I mean. If you ever see somebody, I know this is like none of you, but if you ever see someone who is like impatient with somebody else, like that, y'all are all awesome, you're never impatient. <laughs> Guarantee you, the reason why we are impatient with somebody else is because we're impatient with ourselves. And the reason why we're impatient with ourselves is because we sometimes think that God is impatient with us. You see how, how you think about God affects. So um, if you run into somebody who's just very hard and unmerciful towards other people, it's because they are hard and unmerciful towards themselves. And the reason why they're hard and unmerciful to themselves is they think that God is not merciful or gracious to them. You see that, okay? Uh, when you find, when you find um, people who are, to put it in the positive light, when you find people who are incredibly gracious and gentle towards other people, it's because, and you follow the line, they have understood and they think and they feel and they believe to the core of their bones that God is slow to get angry, that he's rich in love, that he's good to all, that he is, they've experienced that God is gentle and gracious with them, which enables them to be gentle and gracious to themselves, which then just affects. So what you think about God is the most important thing, and it affects everybody around. Some of you are thinking of your boss right now, like send the podcast to them. And then you might get fired. So Psalms 139, if you have a Bible, turn to 139, page 521, if you uh, want to borrow the Bibles around. I know we have a lot of new visitors, and thank you for being here. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had somebody visiting, and I, I met them afterwards. They were on their way to, they were in the military and on their way out. And they, they had one of the Bibles, the Black Bible, and they said, hey, could we, uh, could we buy this? Like, we don't have a Bible 
And uh, I was like, no, you can't buy it. You can have it. And like, well, can we like make a donation? Like, no, you can't make a donation. Like, that's yours. And so we have like a hundred of these Bibles. We have tons in the back. If you don't have a Bible, um, please steal that from us. We'd love to give it to you. Um, you can take it right now. Page 521. And today's uh, big idea is um, when you need to know that God knows. When you need to know that God knows. We're going to uh, get a good lesson in theology from King David. David is going to share with us his thoughts about God. And what's really crazy, this is, I find it so ironic, is he shares his thoughts about God by sharing how God thinks about him. So he's thinking about how God thinks about him. He's contemplating on how God contemplates him, which is really meta. It's fun real fast. So we'll read it together in the one packet. Psalms 139, uh, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. It's my favorite verse in this psalm. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. And then there's a little bit of conflict. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. Forget that partial hatred. Complete hatred is where it's at. I don't even know what to do with that. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Here's uh, uh, verse one. Look at this. You have searched me and known me. Now, for some, when we read this, you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And for some, that's a comfort. The, uh, The definition of search, I love this, says to examine with pain and care. That's what it means to search. If you search for something, if you lose something and you go searching for it, it causes pain and it requires care and some intentionality to find what you've lost. Oh Lord, you have searched me, you could insert, with pain and care, and you've known me. Now I wanna, want you to put a pin in this verse and in this idea of God searching you with pain and care because it's how David will end the psalm as well. Verses two and three, he says, you discern my thoughts from afar which is this great lesson. David knows this lesson very well, that God knows his thoughts. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. David was overlooked as a young boy in the shepherd field. When when the prophet came to look for the next king of Israel, dad didn't even bring David out because he was the runt. He's like, ah, the guy's out doing the blue-collar work with the sheep. He's not king material. And uh, dad was looking at the outward appearance. He looked at David and said, physically, you don't fit the job description of the king of Israel, so we're not even going to let you interview. But God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Adam and Eve didn't understand this. They tried to hide their outward appearance when they sin, and God walks in the garden and can see Adam's little naked butt in the bushes hiding. God knows the heart while we are concerned with the outward Cain tried to hide. God knew his heart. And to be fair to King David, he tried to hide his sexual sin when he had the scandal with Bathsheba. He forgot that lesson he learned as a little kid. That man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. That you can't hide from God. He forgot that, and God sent the prophet Nathan to remind him that even the king can't hide his thoughts and his actions and his intentions from God. This is why David says, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with my way. For some, that's good news, and for some, it's a a bit of a wake-up call. Verse 5 is my favorite. I love this verse. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. This is a great, this is one of those verses you could go out into the wilderness with just this verse and spend hours meditating and and searching the the depths of the riches that are in this verse. You hem me in. What does that mean? The NASB uh, translates the word hem there, enclosed. The New King James says, you've hedged me. The message says, I look behind me and you're there and up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. The New Living says, you go before me and you follow me and you place your hand of blessing on my life. Now, I don't know if you're supposed to um, 
mixed translations, but I, uh, like I'm a, legally a priest, so I think I can get away with it. But I, I, I like to quote the, uh, the ESV and the NLT, and I always quote this saying, you hem me in behind and before, and you place your hand of blessing on my life. Uh, I, that's my translation of, of this. So comforting. The word for the original word that's translated for him or enclosed or hedged just simply means to guard a valuable object. That's what hemming something is, hedging. Think of when you build a property or on your house, you put a hedge of protection, you put a fence around to guard your persons and your property. Even uh, the traditional way of guarding a house is you would plant um, a hedge around the foundation uh, probably of like holly or something that has like really prickly thorns. And, and the idea of hedging your foundation with, with these bushes is to keep people from like leaning in, looking into your property, breaking windows. They're called hedges. Go to Home Depot, hedges, right? They should call them hymns. They don't do that. This is the idea here that God hedges you. He guards you. He encloses you. He protects you because you're valuable. Some read it as like cosmic claustrophobia, like they don't want God cramping their style. But God looks at you and he he values you. You're his treasure. You're the apple of his eye. He sent his only son to die for you. God loves you. And so he hymns you in behind and before. And he places his hand. I think of my little kids when they're running around and I want to just share my love with them that I I sometimes now that they're like five, I have to like hem them in at a wall, and I got to corner my kids, and they're, they're hemmed in, and then I hug them, and I place my hand upon their head, and I, I tell them how much I love them. It's the idea of what God the Father does here. It's why I love verse five. Now, verse seven's uh, pretty awesome. For the next nine verses, uh, David's going to describe in 360 degrees where God is. He says, where shall I go? Verse 8, he says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there, up. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there, down. David says, If I go up, you're there. If I go down, you're there. Verse 9 and 10, he says, If I take the wings of the morning, which direction does the sun come up in the morning? East. So he's gone. If I ascend to heaven, up. If I go to Sheol, down. If I go to the morning, east. If, and if I were to dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, if you're in Israel, what direction is the Mediterranean Sea? Good guess. <laughs> like one of you has been there. So you see what he's doing here. He's going, where shall I go from your spirit? If I go up, down, east, west, you're there. Jonah tried that one. He tried to run from God west on the sea, and he figured out he could not run from God heading west. He, he failed. Verse 11 and 12 if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. So he goes up, down, east, west, and even in the darkness, you're there. When our kids were little, they'd put their like little blankie over their head, and they would believe, since it was dark inside their blanket, that, they couldn't see, that, that I couldn't see them. And they'd like be in the corner of the room, They'd have the blanket over their head, and I could see their little shoes hanging out. And they're like, Daddy, where am I? And to them, they didn't think that Daddy could see them because it's dark where they're at. And I could see their little toddler shoes. Like, I know, like, it's not dark to me because I'm Dad. 
This is what David's saying. Even in the darkness, even when you're in a situation that seems hopeless and dark, it's the equivalent of having a little blankie over your head. God can see your little toes. Darkness is light to him. Verse 13 and 15. So he's, he's gone spatially. He's gone up, down, east, and west. He's gone light and darkness. Now he's going to go future and past. Past. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You ever seen that on a coffee cup? Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Basically, what he says is, God knows your past. If you go up, down, he's there. If you go east, west, he's there. If you're in darkness, he's there. If you were to get in a DeLorean like Steven Spielberg and go in the past, he's there. This is one of the greatest writings in literature about human birth. If you take these two verses, for you formed me, in my inward parts, you knitted me. Look at the crafts, the words for craftsmanship. There, there, you formed, you knitted. You take this with Psalms 127. Children are an inheritance of the Lord. You go to Jeremiah 1, it's the same language. Uh, he says to Jeremiah, before I formed you, before I knew you, Jeremiah 1, I consecrated you. God, even before he begins forming us as human beings, he consecrates us. He dedicates us. He blesses us before we're even formed. This is one of the greatest writings on human birth. This idea that God, our loving Father, is a creator who fashions us. He's a master artist. This is one of the horrors of abortion. Not only is abortion evil because it's taking a life and God is for life. But a secondary reason why it's awful is because it is humans interrupting the master while he's making another masterpiece that he has consecrated and dedicated for a purpose. And somehow, we have found it to be okay. It is hard to take the scriptures teaching on how God creates life and be okay with interrupting his work. You go to verse 16, he says, not just past, he goes, because the DeLorean also goes to the future. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there is none of them. This, this reeks of Ephesians 2.10, my favorite verse in the Bible. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, unless the religious take that and think, oh, I gotta do stuff. Ephesians 2.10 says, which he prepared. So the, the idea is that God creates us. We're the masterpiece. We're the work of art. You look around, say, you're a piece of work, Polo. She said amen. <laughs> right? Right? We are a piece of God's work. Sorry, we're going to do some marriage counseling later. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to sit on the back row next week. God forms us. We are his workmanship, and he's created us for good works that he created, and he creates the days. Oh, what a, that's good news, right? Like we don't, 
We don't have to strive to do this stuff. We just walk in what he's already ordained. And then here's the, uh, the recollection of all of that. Up, down, God's there. East and west, God's there. If I get in a DeLorean and go to the past, God's there. If I go into the future to all of my days that were formed, God's there. What's the grateful response to this truth that God knows and that he's present? How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. Quality, how precious. How vast is the sum of them, quantity. So David says God's thoughts are both quality and quantity. They're precious. And there's a vast sum of them. These are the precious thoughts that God has for you. And this should be a comfort whenever the dark day comes. Whenever the the, the dark night of the soul comes and we don't know how to make sense of things. Psalms 139 is for you, my friends. Put a bookmark in it. Dog ear the page. Psalms 139 is when you are in the middle of darkness, when you feel like you're in Sheol. God knows. When you struggle with what, where your past has been, God knows. If you struggle with what the future holds, God knows. How precious are your thoughts, O oh God? And then uh, he started this whole thing saying, search me. Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You have examined me with great pain and care. And then he ends in verse 23 and 24. Again, search me, O God. Examine me with pain and care, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. This is, this should be good news. If you, if in reading the psalm, your heart is like, uh-oh, I don't know if I want God to search me. Listen, my friends, lovingly, I want to tell you, you have not believed the gospel if when we say God knows and you go, uh-oh, no, 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 you, you're missing the heart of God if your heart goes, I don't want him to know or search me. He is slow to anger. He is rich in love. He is full of abundant mercy. He is good to all. And he has searched you and he has found you with great pain and care. And that should be good news because it means that it's not up to you and it's not about you and that his love is so much greater than any of the junk that you've done. He has searched you with pain on the cross, with great care and tenderness, he cares for your soul. And the test for if we actually believe and think rightly about the good news of great joy for all people that Christ has won the day, the gospel. The test is when you blow it, do you hide from him or do you run to him? That's the test. If when you blow it in your immediate gut reaction is let me retreat and hide like Adam in the bushes. You're thinking about the good news wrongly. Because he's rich in love. He has paved the way. You are his workmanship. He has created you. He's formed you. He's consecrated your life. He's dedicated your life. He has a purpose, a holy, heavenly kingdom purpose for your life. And all the ways in which we blow it, God 
has grace and mercy for that. That's why we say it's good news. That's why we gather on Sundays in a storage unit and sing. Because I don't have to do it. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to do it. I can't get an amen on that. Come on now. There you go. He knows you. He's here. Uh, In a moment, we're going to sing a song um, that is so great to me. I was in a, uh, wasn't planning on sharing this, but I was in a a pretty dark season years ago when everyone around me, those above me, those below me, those beside me, everyone around, not everyone, but most everyone, not Shari, she was great, but there's so many, I don't know if she's here or not, she's upstairs, I think. I might need marriage counseling after that statement. (laughs) Yeah, um, they were in this tough season of my life where there was just so much upheaval and turmoil and it was a massive season of loss. It was just hard to make sense of things. It was hard to cope with when life kicks you in the teeth. Sometimes it's just hard to deal with it. And I had been faithful. I had done what God had asked me to do when no one was looking and life just sucked. Just, life sucked. And uh, I was wondering, Lord, are you watching this? Because it's pretty awful. And a buddy of mine invited me to his house. He had just renovated his attic. He made a little man cave in his attic, and he put this HD screen and these smart lights in there. And, and I was over at his house with a bunch of other dudes. I think I'm the youngest guy. He's like in his late 40s at the time. And he's like, hey, I can hook up my, my computer to my projector, which was a new thing back then. And so he pulls up this video, and it's uh, the live version of this song that, that we're going to uh, sing during communion. And then he's like, and I got these smart lights, and he like clicks on his phone, and all the lights dim. And so we're in my friend Brian's attic, dark. I'm in this like, nice, lazy boy chair with a bunch of other men, and he plays this video, and it's all about God knowing us and our situation and it was just the gift of the Holy Spirit to me. And, and God just ministered to me through this song. When I was in, it felt like it was dark and it felt like I was in Sheol. I felt like I was in hell. And just the truth, and it's based on Psalms 139, just the truth of Psalms 139 just began to wash over my soul. And I'm like weeping and trying not to make like sounds. And I'm not the crier. And then like the song's over. And then he turns on the lights and there's like all these men around me. And I'm like, man, the, the, the allergies right now are you know, I need some Allegra. Oh, if that's you, my friends, God knows. Whatever your situation is, whatever your struggle is, God knows. It, it, you don't even have to know that he knows. It doesn't make a difference whether you know that he knows. He knows. And so the invitation for you today is whatever situation you're in, and maybe this is like bank this for the future, God knows, all right? God's with us. He's present with us. He's listening. He's watching. It's the good news. So we're going to pray. We're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to provide some time to worship and pray, and then we'll call it a day. Sound good? Father, thank you for being the master creator, for searching us, for being involved. I know many of us had dads who were not present, who were aloof or busy at work. I know some of us didn't even have dad. Abba, Father, thank you that you are a good father who searches us with pain and care. You know our thoughts. You know the words before we speak them. You are interested in us.
Lord, bring us to a place where that truth is healing and freeing and is comforting. I know for some that's not. But Lord, you can bring us to that spot where we can surrender to the watchful eye of God our Father. For those listening who feel like they've made their bed in shield, for those who feel like the day is dark, and perhaps it is, Lord, we ask that you would help them to become more aware of your presence. that your spirit would give peace that surpasses their ability to cope and understand and to find reasons for things. Spirit, pour out your, your blessing upon their head. Hem them in from behind and before. Father, let them feel the comfort of your hands of love. hands that protect, the hands that guide and deliver, the hands that bless. But for those listening in who haven't fully understood or felt or received the gospel, who are running from you and hiding from you, I ask God that you would call their name she would help them to see that their running and their hiding is futile. Help them to see that they are already in the meshes of your net. And that they won't get free. They might as well give in to your love. But we ask for you to do the great work of salvation today among those listening who have yet to find comfort in the good news. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for leaving the 99 to search for the one who was lost, for searching for us with great pain, with great cost, and with great tenderness and care. Lord, let that never grow old to us. Restore to us, Lord, the joy of our salvation. 